Well, if you haven't, if you haven't been with us, uh, welcome. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Corey. Uh, I am the lead pastor here at Third Street Community Church, and it's my honor and privilege to be bringing the word today. It's my honor and privilege specifically to be wrapping up this series we've been in for the last seven weeks. Oh my goodness, seven weeks we've been taking this journey through the book of Habakkuk in the Old Testament. It's a minor prophet, and it's been wild. We call this series, Are You Just? Because the gist of uh, the book of Habakkuk is Habakkuk's uh, complaints, for lack of a better word, to God. We started our series by, by listening to Habakkuk air his complaints of God, are you just? I've heard that you are a loving God. I've heard that you are a God of justice. And yet in my streets, all I see is death. And yet in our court systems, all I see is injustice. And yet in our world, all I see is fallenness. God, are you even just? Or are you just watching us fade away? And we've been wrestling with with Habakkuk and God's little bit of back and forth, but ultimately in times that are incredibly difficult, God spends the majority of this book reminding Habakkuk of who he is. That he is a God of love, but he is also a God who hates oppression. He is also a God who hates shame, degradation, Dragging other people who were also created in the image of God, which BT dubs is all people. He hates that. Never intended that. Never intended for us to feel shame. Never intended us to feel less than. God is a God who, who hates idolatry, anything being put ahead of him in our lives. Can't stand that. No room for that. He is a God who has a plan. And what we see now, beginning last week and into our passage today, is this turn that happens in Habakkuk's perspective. It goes from, God, how could you do such a thing? Where are you even at? I don't even see you. To what we're going to read today. If you would, turn with me. To the book of Habakkuk, we are in the final chapter, chapter 3. We're going to read verses 17 through 19. This is the very end together. Verse 17 says this. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms, and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crops fail, and even though the fields lie empty and barren, Even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, I'm going to stop you right there, which is going to drive a lot of you nuts because it's an incomplete sentence. I get that. We'll get there. I promise. But we got to stop. We got to stop because y'all know, y'all know how I can't help myself. Y'all know how I just can't, I can't, I can't let the dangers of casual reading creep in. 
right? I love to remind you the dangers of casual reading. The dangers of casual reading is that we don't get the full picture of how dark this situation still is. I think a lot of times we would want to read this in a way that says in the beginning of this book, things were really dark. In the beginning of this book, there was a lot of injustice. In the beginning of this book, there was a lot of murder. In the beginning of this book, there was a lot of crime. In the beginning of this book, there was a lot really, really wrong. But now God has fixed those things, and now we're happy again. Now that's why we're singing. This is a song. This is a prayer that Habakkuk is writing, and now he's fixed those things, and so that's why we're happy, and that's not the case at all. Verse 17 paints a really, really dark picture that I think the danger of our casual reading and our cultural lens doesn't allow us to grasp. See, the nation of Judah had an agrarian economy, meaning they functioned entirely off of, their, off of, the, off of the sustenance of crops and livestock. Their, their whole lives, the way that, 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 that their country worked was off of farming off of growing things from the ground, off of feeding animals. That was their whole economy. Let's let's think about this in terms of us. For us, our economy is built off of supply and demand. Our economy, let's imagine to fully get the picture of, of what Habakkuk is trying to say, let's imagine for a moment that here in the United States, here in America, there is no more oil. No more oil. No more natural resources. No more water. Um, Y'all still looking at me blankly. Let me put it another way. There's no more stuff on the shelves in Target. Uh Oh, Oh, you didn't like that one. Okay, okay, okay. (laughs) There's no more beans to be made for your Starbucks. Ooh, I like that one even less. There's no more arenas. There's no more arenas for people to play sports or for entertainers entertainers to put on shows. And moreover, there are no more jobs for people to go labor in. There is no more desire to labor. There is no more desire to work. We are all now just consumers with nothing to consume. That would be the American equivalent to how dark this situation is. There are no more fields producing. There are no more animals eating. There's no more economy. There's no more lifestyle. Habakkuk is saying, there's no more life. I can see the end. It's right there. I can see it. What has made you been feeling hopeless lately? What's that thing going on right now where it's caused you to be feeling as if the end is near? What is that impending doom that you feel like has been surrounding you? Have you been feeling as if There's no no more sustenance left for you. All right, I'm going to stop driving you crazy. We can finish the sentence now. Verse 18, 
Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crops fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, verse 18 says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvations. Hold on. Why? You just came at me painting this super bleak picture telling me I can't shop at Target or get Starbucks anymore. You're telling me I got no more cowboys to watch at 425 this afternoon when they smack the Patriots. Shout out to y'all. You just told me that supply and demand has gone kaput. You just told me that I'm out here as a consumer with nothing to consume, and yet you want me to rejoice? You want me to praise? But what Habakkuk is realizing in verse 18 What he has now come to the point of is realizing that the only thing changing in his relationship with God and the only thing changing about God is the circumstances that surround Habakkuk while he's in relationship with an unchanging God. Nothing as a matter of fact has changed between us. Just what's going on around us. In other words, though things around me are getting worse, it seems, my connection with God doesn't actually change and God himself doesn't change. God isn't leaving me. God isn't cutting me off. God is not punishing me. My connection with God hasn't gone anywhere. It's just the fallen world around me is increasingly functioning in its fallenness. So then ask yourself the question, why should I feel any differently about God based on how things around me have changed? We were praising God when he freed slaves from Egypt. He's still the same God. Do we not believe that he has the same power? I was talking to JD about this the other day. One of my favorite uh, comedians uh, of, of all time is Dimitri Martin. Ain't Dimitri Martin fans? Uh, just me and JD. Cool. This is great. That me, that, never mind. Dimitri Martin didn't say this. I said this. I wrote this. Listen. <laughs> Dimitri Martin says this thing. He says, he says, I went into a clothes store and a lady came up to me and said, if you need anything, I'm Jill. And he says, interesting. I've never met anyone with a conditional identity before. If I need anything, you're Jill. If I don't need anything, who are you? Mike? (laughs) I worry that sometimes we treat God as if our relationship has conditions or even as if he himself has a conditional identity. Lord, when I need you, your way maker miracle worker promise keeper light in the darkness yes sir when i need you that is who you are when i need you that is who you are when i need you but when i don't need anything When I don't need anything, you're somebody I may visit on Sunday if I feel like getting up. 
Is God the same to you no matter the circumstance? Yes, sir. Is your relationship with God conditional? Yeah. And let me ask it a different way. If God doesn't come through exactly the way you want him to come through, who is he to you then? When your boss at work passes you over again, who is God to you? When your political party is acting out of pocket or they don't win, who is God to you then? When the judge you stand before doesn't see it your way, who is God to you then? When your job gets cut altogether, who is God to you then? When that financial provision that you've been praying about takes a little longer than that red line on your bill says it should take, who is God to you then? And what we can draw, what we should draw rather, from those who were in faith ahead of us is that it shouldn't change. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the instance of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego wouldn't bow down to Babylon's nationalism, wouldn't do it. And so the king threatens to throw him in the furnace. And one of the most pivotal verses in all the Old Testament is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego staring at the king and saying, you can throw us in that furnace. I believe God will save me. But if not, I'm still not going to do it. Because if not, I still believe God to be who I think he is. If not, I still believe that God is who he says he is. If not, I still believe God to be good. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 writes, I've begged God three times. It's really bugging me. It's not even something I threw out there one time. It's not even something that I was like, hey, God, remember this. It's something that's really, really bugging me. And I'm like, God, three times I've asked you, can you take this thorn out of my side? Can you take this pain away? Can you take this annoyance away? And the only response I've heard is my grace is sufficient for you. So I guess his grace is sufficient for me. And I got this pain in my side. Habakkuk here is saying, all I still see, even after my complaint, and then God's rebuttal, and then my complaint back, even still, I only see emptiness. Even still, I only see brokenness. Even still, I only see death. Even still, I only see lack. But God is still good. Because there's nothing else as great as God. There's nothing else as sufficient as God. Amen. And we more fully see that in the last verse, verse 19. He says, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon heights. Habakkuk has accepted that even though these sources around him might fail, even though the economy might come crumbling down, even though people might fall away in sin or in death, even though ultimately Habakkuk's existence is not based on those things. His existence is not based upon how well the economy is doing. 
His existence is not based upon how rightly the people around him are walking. His, his, his existence is not based upon his social standing within his community. His existence is based upon the true source, the vine, if you will, and that's God. God who keeps promises even in hard times. Do you rely on God as your strength in all times? Let me, let, me, let me italicize and emphasize that word again. Do you rely on God as your strength in all times? Now, I still don't think you're with me. Church, say all. all. Say every. every. Say no matter, what. no matter what. Do you rely on God as your strength at all times? Or, you do, or do you believe more so in your own? My dad's here. He's heard me tell this story before, and he's going to get it again. He's going he's gonna to love it and gloat about it later. But I remember when I was a teenager, I got a flat tire. And it was, it was, in, the, uh, it was in the old Pontiac. I got a flat tire, and I drove it home when I shouldn't have. And I came in. I came into the house. I came in through the back door because I knew exactly where my dad was going to be sitting. I came in, and I said, Dad, I got a flat tire. Now, here's what I was really saying. What I was really saying was, Dad, go fix my car. Right? That's what I was really saying. I was saying I got a flat tire. But what I was really saying was, can you go fix my flat tire? To which my dad looks at me and he says, go change it. And I'm like, you go change it. No, I didn't say that. I was scared. I walked out of the house. Muttering under my breath, ticked as all get out, because now I got to find a way to fix this tire. I stormed out to my car, and my dad wisely put on his coat to follow me. But I'm mad. I don't want to talk to him. I don't perceive that he's going to help me. I don't perceive that he's going to answer my request the way that I want him to answer it. So now I'm mad. So I open the trunk, I get out the jack, I get out the tire iron, I get underneath the car. I put the jack where I perceive the jack needs to go, and I start jacking up the car. I'm like, see, look, got the car lifted. What? You didn't think I could do it. I know you're out here to gloat. I know you're out here because you don't think I can do it. I'm going to do it. I get the tire iron. I start going at the lug nuts. Guess what? They won't come off. Can't figure it out. Cannot figure this out. And I'm cranking, like, my dad's standing behind me. He says, do you want some help? No, I don't want your help. I asked for your help a while ago. You wouldn't give it to me the way I wanted it. Now I got it all my own strength. I got it. I got it. I got it. Lug nuts won't move. Standing behind me, I get ticked off. I slam slam the tire iron down. I'm like, fine, forget it. You do it. I don't know how to do it. Just do it. And leans down. See, the lug nuts had caps. I didn't know they had caps. <laughs> I didn't know you needed to take the caps off in order to be able to twist the lug nuts. I think, of the, you know, I didn't know. And then he changed the tire. <laughs> How often do we go to God wanting him to intervene? But we already have set in our mind the way we want him to intervene. 
And then when he doesn't give us quite what we are looking for, we storm off in our own strength. Fine, you clearly don't care. Fine, you clearly don't want to intervene. Fine, you clearly don't see your people. You clearly don't want to do anything about this. Let me go do something about this. But what Habakkuk says is that even when God's answers don't go the way we wanted, he is still our strength. He will still take us to heights that we are not sure-footed enough to go to. He will still take us to places that we need help and his assistance and reliance on him to go. He will still see us through situations that we have no idea how to navigate, but he can. In all circumstances, is God your strength? If you are rich and in business, is God your strength? Or is money your strength? Is strategy your strength? Or are you still reliant on God? If you're broke, is God your strength? Or is your strength in whatever skill set you want to hustle to make a buck? Is your strength in whatever form of assistance you perceive people around you can give? Or is God your strength? If you're married, is your spouse your strength? Look into the person sitting with you all those years. Are they your strength? Are you fully reliant on the strength and the ability of your husband or your wife? Or is God your strength? If you're single, do you actually trust and rely on God's strength, God's wisdom, God's provision? Or is Tinder your strength? Are your friends at work setting you up on a blind date or going out with you after six o'clock your strength? Are those late night things that you don't think anybody else really knows about or goes through, is that your strength? Or is God your strength? If you're a student, particularly this time of the semester, is caffeine your strength? Is Cliff Notes your strength? Is somebody else's work who took that same class and that same professor as you your strength? Or is God your strength? Are you relying too much on the things that you can obtain? Are you relying too much on the things that you can do or you can resource or you can scrounge up or you can manage? Some of these things that I listed aren't bad necessarily, but listen to me, they're not God. They're not God. They're not going to take you to that high place that God wants to take you. They're not going to get you through that difficult circumstance that you can't figure out why you're walking through. Only God can get you through those things. When we find ourselves in good times, we shouldn't forget about God. We should praise God for his goodness. We should praise God for his glory. We should praise God for his provision. We should praise God for his goodness. When we find ourselves in hard times, We praise God still 
Because isn't it great? Isn't it great to be able to rely on one whose goal, whose goal isn't to figure out a way to make your day better, but whose goal is to bring dead things to life? Isn't it great to rely on one whose power can make dead things alive? Isn't it great that while Jesus was dead in the tomb and it looked as if all hope was lost, that God brought the dead to life? Isn't it great that while we were dead in our brokenness, that while we were dead in our shoddiness, that while we were dead in our shadiness, that while we were dead wrapped up in all the things that you don't think the people around you know you're wrapped up in, isn't it great that while we were yet still dead in our sin, God made us alive? So I will trust the one who has a long track record of bringing death to life. What a wild shift we've seen in Habakkuk. What an incredible twist on perspective. And if we can draw anything from Habakkuk's spiritual journey, I hope it is that God sees us that God hears our cries, that God knows exactly what's going on in the world. God sees the pain that is being inflicted and God sits in that pain with you. God experiences the hurt too because when we read Genesis 1 and 2, that's not the thing we see. Hurt is not something we see. Pain is not something we see. Anguish is not something we see. Injustice is not something we see. Murder is not something we see. God did not want this for his garden. God did not want this for his people. And so God is experiencing this too. God is in it with us. But praise be to God, he has a plan. And he's had a plan. We're new to it. God is working out his plan. So really, really what I believe Habakkuk comes down to in an oversimplification, and I'll close with this question, is if God is working out his plan in the midst of all of this, if God, if we truly believe that God is working a plan of reconciliation out, then the only standing question really is, do we have the faith? Do we have the faith to rely on his strength and to see it through? Do we have the faith to rely on his strength and to see his plan through?